You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. Welcome into the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You're joined by thousands of photographers listening to the show who are all on the same journey to master their photography. I'm Jeff Harmon, the host for this episode. And I'm going to review the image.canon service that Canon announced earlier this year. I'm, I'm going to walk through a little bit more of the detail about it. And some big news got made here in August 2020 where the Canon became a fully licensed, a fully compatible. <laughs> they integrated their image.canon service with Google Photos. And that made some big news and made me kind of excited and like, ah, I need to go pay attention to this. I got to figure out what is going on there. So so that's what we're going to do. I I dove into it. I've got all the full details now and that's what I want to tell you about. So first off, my expectation going into this. What I was thinking when I saw that image.canon was now an integrated partner with Google Photos, I thought, okay, so not knowing a thing about the service since I had never looked into it, could this be one of those holy grail workflow things where if you get your camera set up right and you have it use like your phone for an internet connection, not an app on your phone, but just like a hotspot. Your phone's a hotspot for your camera because most, I don't know, of a camera that can have its own data connection yet. But if you can do that, does it work where you just like take a picture and it can be configured to automatically have that picture go through the hotspot internet connection provided by your phone, end up in the service, and then that service, the image.canon service, sends it onto Google Photos or maybe Lightroom or or maybe like at least making it so that it's really easy to publish to like Instagram and Facebook and like do some very simple edits in Lightroom and it, well... It's not exactly like that. <laughs> As I got into the details, uh, reality came in. And the reality is that connectivity today, August 2020, at least in the United States, for most people, there may be some exceptions out there, but the connectivity from your phone and your hotspot, not quite there yet. There's also some limitations on the camera models. And so let's let's go into the whole thing. Let's just walk through kind of the steps and again, I have show notes over at Photo Taco Podcast. Even though this is master photography, I decided to publish the, some really detailed show notes. It's about a 50 pages worth of, of notes and an illustrated guide over at phototacopodcast.com where you can see everything about this. Uh, so the, the show notes themselves for this episode on master photography are going to be pretty skimpy, just to really mostly just a link over to Photo Taco um, for, the, for that extensive illustrated guide. I poured a ton of time into that guide. So uh, if this is something you're interested in pursuing, you definitely need to go check out that illustrated guide. Okay, so the the steps here. The first thing you have to do is you've got to create yourself. Well, actually, the very first step, you have to own a Canon camera. Not any of them. It's 27 specific models, at least as of August 2020, there's only 27 that are supported to do this. And really what it, I think the the thing that makes it supported or not is uh, its ability to have a Wi-Fi connection, the camera itself to have a Wi-Fi connection. So anyway, they have a list of 27 supported cameras. You have to have one of those. You truly have to have one of those. And, and I'll get to why in just a second. Once you have that, now you can start by creating your free image.canon account. And it truly is free, which is kind of amazing to me. They're going to have a cloud service here that when you're all kind of set up, your images can go from your camera through that Wi-Fi hotspot on your phone or your home Wi-Fi or office Wi-Fi and end up in cloud storage on servers that Canon manages in the cloud and is still free. In fact, even if you wanted to, say, buy more storage, you can't. So we'll, we'll get to all that. But there's a link in the show notes. You can just really just go to image.canon. Just that's why they named the service the way they did, because that's also the URL you use. Image.canon is what you type into the browser. Yep, it's a dot canon, not a like dot com on the end. It's image.canon. 
and you'll get there. If you go there, you can in the upper right, there's a get started and you can do sign in or create Canon ID. Um, to create the Canon ID, they offer what a lot of services these days offer in the cloud. And that's that you can log in with your Google, Facebook, or Apple accounts if you want to. And, and it's a pretty simple process to be able to do that, especially if you're like already logged into one of those services, you really just grant permissions and you're good to go. I'm kind of old school. I It makes me nervous to have so many things kind of auto-tied to one of those um those users, my Google user in particular, but Facebook too, and Apple less so, but I'm just worried about the privacy of it. So I prefer not to use any of those options and just to create my own account, even though I'm going to use like my Gmail email address for that account. Uh, it's, it's just my personal preference. I like to be able to do that. And then I can have a different password for it. And uh, it, there's like security reasons that I want to separate it out like that, but you can do whatever you like. It's not to say it's like horribly insecure I, from the face of it. I mean, I'm an information security professional by day uh, on the face of it. They've done this whole authentication process correctly. I haven't d uh, gone into the details. You certainly can make mistakes in the implementation, but at least the overall approach is the best of approach that you can take here in 2020 to be able to, to make that work. Still, I prefer to do my own sign up, create my own account that's separated from my Google uh, Facebook and Apple accounts. Okay. So once you do that, you, you have to accept the terms of service. You choose one of those methods to create your Canon ID is what Canon calls this. And then you have to accept the terms of service, which is something I think every photographer should make sure that they understand when they go to sign up for one of these things, looking in the terms of service for what you're agreeing that service provider can do with your images. You're going to be uploading images to this service what are they entitled to do or what are they saying like you're agreeing to when you do that? I reviewed the terms of service. It looks pretty good. I'll, I'll talk about it kind of the very end of the episode. I think Canon has done a pretty good job to protect the rights of the photographer. So for, for what that's worth, we'll get into it a little tiny bit more at the end. Okay, so once you've done that, you've accepted the terms of service. Next, you have to do a step that's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty hard, actually. Um, I especially because there's not a ton of help from Canon on this, like on their website. And so my guide has a bunch of help on how to do this, but you'll see a screen after you accept the terms of service, then Canon is going to put up a screen that says, do you have a Canon digital camera or selfie photo printer? And you, uh, and then it says first time users must register a Canon digital camera or selfie photo printer. And it has a register button and a cancel button. And you truly have to do this. Like you can't skip this step. You can't, uh, Canon, it doesn't just say, hey, do you have a Canon camera? Nug, nug, wink, you know, nug, nudge, wink, wink, you know, just say you do or, or uh, even saying like, hey, put in your serial number of your camera here. And there's a purpose for this that we'll get to later as we're going to go use it. But it means you have to actually, like when you hit the register button, the next thing it does is it, it does pop up a, a little window that says, now it's time to connect your camera to your computer. And I thought, really? You have to connect your camera to the computer in order to get like fully sign up for this service? And you do. You, you really have to go through this step. And again, there's a reason for it, but it does make it so that this is like not trivial. You It's not simple to be able to do this. Uh, if you don't have the EOS utility installed on your computer, that's the first thing you're going to have to do. And they don't have any links to to like where to download that, how to how to install it. There's there's nothing. It's just like this assumption. Of course you are. If you own a Canon camera, of course you already have this EOS utility installed on your computer and and you have it running. And I didn't. I mean, I probably did at one point for some testing I did, but I don't use that. I'm not a tethering shooter. Uh, and even if I did, I wouldn't use Canon software. I'd use probably on one or, or some other or Lightroom to, to do that. So yeah, it, I, I did actually have the software installed, but I went and updated it because I had been a long time since I had, had done that. And I have links and instructions about how you can get this thing going on your computer if you haven't already. All right. Once you have the utility installed, then the next step and, and, the browser page where Canon says you got to go do this, 
they say right at the bottom, like, we know this is going to take you so long that your session, your your login that you just set up, you're you're going to time out and you're going to have to log in again. So just be ready to log in again when you're when you're done. Come back here, hit you know. There's a next button, but when you hit it, it's like, hey, you got to sign in again, <laughs> and that's that's absolutely true. But okay, you. So what you're going to do is you're going to connect your camera to your computer through that EOS utility app that you have to run on your computer. I don't see a way to do this with your phone, and, and it's going to make sense about why that's the case. This this step, or in order to use the service, you actually have to connect your camera to your computer through this utility. And it's kind of crazy, but that's that's how it works. So I go through the instructions about how you're going to do this. The reason they want you to do this is you're going to put in your credentials that you just made, that Canon ID that you just set up either through your Google account, your Facebook account, your Apple account, or like me if you went old school and did your own email and password. Then you you can you're going to go put that into this into the EOS uh, utility, and you're going to be creating something that's called a web service registration, and it's going to take your you're going to put in your username and password into this app application that's running on your computer while it's connected to your camera and and then when you hit uh after a successful login it's going to connect to your camera and it's going to create a profile a web service it's going to register a web service with your camera prior to doing this your camera actually doesn't even know how to talk to image.canon the service uh, most of these cameras weren't built with that. Like this, this is a new service that's just come out in 2020. So will those cameras, you know, from years ago, yeah, they could probably put in like a firmware update and have it go. But they thought about this, and this is the way that Canon has decided to make it so that you can actually get the image.canon service enabled on your camera. You do it through this EOS utility, and you have to kind of, you know, get provide those credentials, your Canon ID, and it writes stuff to your camera so that it now knows about the image.canon service, and it knows it's specific to your login. So that's kind of a limitation a little bit. Like if you rent a camera and you want to use this, you got you can do this. You can totally do this with the camera. But then you really need to like remember to kind of wipe it off or remove this stuff when you're done uh, before you send the camera back so that it's not all connected up to your camera. And you also have to note like you can't use multiple image.canon Canon IDs in one camera. You, you, you're limited to one account per camera. Um, so you can use that same account across multiple cameras, but on one camera, you can only have one account. Okay. So it is a tough step. It's, it's challenging. That's why you really got to go check out the guide. If you're interested in doing this and trying out this service, uh, and there's, there's a way to validate that you got it all working and, and be able to go. All right. So once you've finally done that, you go back over to the website image.canon and you log in and you'll you'll see the registration there and you'll also see that you can set up some destination services. We're going to talk about those in a little more detail in just a second. But first let's let's talk now about well how do I just send a photo then from the camera to image.canon as a cloud service? How do we do that? And it's also a little bit convoluted and to make matters worse it's going to depend on your camera. <laughs> the way that the menus work, the way that the serv- the wireless features of, of Canon cameras works changes a little bit from camera to camera. And so I couldn't create a one-size-fits-all guide to that piece of how you have to do this setup. I did detail what I did on my Canon ADD. Um, that's a supported camera. And I, I have screen by screen what I did there. So if you're an ADD or probably pretty close for 90D or some other, there maybe some other cameras are pretty close. So maybe you'll be lucky and follow it. The good news is Canon does have some decent, I wouldn't say they're great, but some decent guides specific to your camera on how to uh, to send or set up your camera to send images wirelessly to the image.canon service. They didn't do a good job of how to get your camera set up, you know, to this point, but at least from here and and how you can actually use the service, they've got a decent, I I have a link in my guide to those uh, instructions in case that's not going to work. But what really kind of what it breaks down to is, and, and why you had to register that service, 
Uh, you go and and if you've ever used the wireless settings in a Canon camera, you, you'll be familiar with the fact that you have to like create a a wireless uh, connection profile, and you do it specific to each type of Wi-Fi function that the the camera offers. So you can do it. You have three different camera wireless uh, connection setups for a phone. You have three different setups for a computer and they're totally different from the phone. So even though you may have connected your phone to your camera for the use of like controlling your camera through the, through your phone, even if you, anyway, it doesn't share connection information between these things. And that's the same with the web service uh, functionality that's built into the Wi-Fi capabilities of Canon cameras. So you're going to have to go and create that connection profile and you can choose anything that provides a Wi-Fi signal to the camera. So at home or in your office or in your studio, when you probably have Wi-Fi available, you can use that. You can set it up so that it uses that good Wi-Fi service that's got probably broadband internet connection behind it and be able to use these services. And if you're in the studio, that, that can really help you. Yeah, but most of us want to use this when we're out on the road. Most of us want to use it when we're away from our home or our office or our studio. And you're interested in trying to have, like like I said at the beginning, you, this vision of like my photos as soon as I take a picture are floating through the air back home to my computer and landing in my Lightroom catalog. Wouldn't that be awesome if that's how it worked? Not quite how it works. So you have, But at this point, all we're talking about is you have to get... Uh, things set up so that you can the connection settings so to do it with your phone you just you have to enable a hotspot on your phone so that your phone is sending a wire a wi-fi signal out and now your the camera will see that signal you can connect to it you provide the password you connect to it and and it uses it like it would any other wi-fi signal it 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 doesn't matter what the source of the wi-fi signal is it just has to be a wi-fi signal so you can make it work it's got some exceptions and some challenges, but you you can make it work. So I detail all of those steps through the menus in the Canon ADD. What you end up with then is after you go through this, you end up at a place because you chose this web services function in the wireless features of the camera where you are going through the images that are on your memory card and you can choose an image that you want to send to image.canon. You can also choose to select multiple images to send to image.canon. And I go through all the details about how you do that. There's kind of some screens. It was a little confusing to me. I, I had to spend some time kind of going through it to figure it out. But uh, but it works. It does okay. And it, it definitely makes it so that you can get images from your camera up to the image.canon service and, put, and your images end up in their cloud. Um... That's kind of the the rough setup that you have to do to make this service work. Some of those steps are a little tough, and I don't think Canon did a really good job of uh, providing support and help on how to do this. But the next question you probably have is, okay, how long does it take to send an image up to image.canon? I mean, you might think my home Wi-Fi, it's pretty fast. I'll be, I, sh- I probably will get faster rates than if I use my phone as a hotspot. And you might be right. <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna be variable times on this for sure. I did a bunch of testing. I, I didn't want to just send one image and use that number, the transfer rate, how long it took to send that image. I did this a lot <laughs> and averaged it all out. And I even ran into some issues with this. So the home Wi-Fi worked perfectly. I didn't have any problems with it. It connected reliably. It stayed connected. Uh, the transfer rates were very consistent. It was good. It, good enough that it convinced me Canon has done a good job of making the camera talk to a Wi-Fi signal. Now, this is the ADD in particular. Uh, previous versions may not work as well, but I would think uh, newer versions than the ADD will work even better or potentially better, especially when you have like the R5 and the R6 when they have 5 gigahertz Wi-Fi now. And I, it's pretty good with a home Wi-Fi. Where the challenges came in was with my phone, which is kind of sad because that's most of us why we would want to use a service like this. 
but and I don't think I could blame it on Canon here. The challenges, I think there were two things that were kind of a problem as I did this testing. Uh, the first one is I don't think I have an iPhone 10, so it's a few years old now. I'm going to be upgrading to whatever Apple has releasing in, in the latter half of this year. I'm, I am, I do a three year cycle. And so it's it, sure it's a little bit dated, but it's still, you know, it, hotspot functionality has been a thing for a long time. I found that that hotspot connection offered by the iPhone 10 didn't seem all that stable. Maybe it's because of the data plan and the carrier behind it, but it seemed to have problems. I had I had a lot of issues with the camera disconnecting from the Wi-Fi in the middle of stuff. I had a lot of issues with the camera like not connecting, even though I'd provided the right credentials, the right like you know the password to get to the Wi-Fi that the phone provided it would say it couldn't connect periodically and and there were challenges with it. So it was definitely a lot more hit and miss than the home Wi-Fi where it was like super consistent and pretty perfect. Uh, The speeds also dramatically changed. So I I don't think I can blame all of this on the iPhone X either or the iPhone 10. I think that the biggest factor or the biggest thing that led to not having a really, really good experience with this is the uh, the 4G LTE service from my carrier. And I'm not going to name the carrier because that doesn't, I think that's irrelevant. I think every carrier has places where they struggle. <laughs> Here in the Harriman foothills of Utah, I think every carrier struggles. None of them cover it very well. And so there was just a lot of variability in the timing of how long it took to transfer an image, to send an image from my camera through the Wi-Fi connection up to the image.canon service. So there's challenges there. Keep all that in mind. If I threw out the outliers, threw out the ones that were really problematic, and I just included the ones that it was clear the Wi-Fi connection, whether it was my home Wi-Fi or the phone, were working correctly, here's how the timings turned out to be. And Another thing I, I didn't mention earlier, when you go to send an image, at least on the ADD, I get two choices of what I want to send. I can send a JPEG that is sized at an S2 size. The resolution is S2, which is on the ADD, it turns out to be 1920 by 1280. That's it. That's a pretty small image, but there's a good reason for that. Or I could pick to send a JPEG that is 6000 by 4000, which is the full native resolution that I can get out of the Canon ADD. Um, You might wonder, what about RAW? RAW is not an option on the ADD or a whole bunch of the 27 cameras that are supported. In fact, very, very few cameras allow you to transfer RAW files. The image.canon service is supposed to handle RAW files, but the the I'm guessing the speeds of the Wi-Fi is a massive part of this. It's They're not allowing RAW files to be sent for a vast majority of the cameras that are supported. Raw simply won't be an option. And that's a bummer because <laughs> that really means this workflow isn't great for most of the use cases I would have for it. I like to shoot raw. Uh, it's really valuable to me. And any kind of workflow where I don't end up with a raw that I can edit is a workflow I'm not super interested in doing. This could still have some meaning. I'm still glad I went through it to fully understand it. Some of you listening may be like, I don't shoot raw, and I, I like what I'm getting out of my JPEGs. Or you might think, well, you know, for some specific use cases I have, this fits for me. Even though I don't have a raw file, the JPEG is valuable to me, and that's totally cool. If you've got a, a way that, to use this service that's going to be meaningful you, to you or your business, um, then then that's great. Um, Okay, so those were the two options. You may have different options on your Canon camera. You may even have RAW on your Canon camera. You can go check. I have a list in my guide of the ones that won't do JPEG only. And then, of course, the ones that aren't on the crossover um, will do can do RAW files. Okay, so I only had those two two options. And here's why I think they had those two options. The file size of the S2 sized images, again, that's 1920 by 1280, they were about 500K average. Some were a lot less, some were a little bit more. But on average, I tested a ton of images, about 500 kilobytes that uh, the images ended up being. On the uh, full resolution files, the 6,000 by 4,000, 
they're a whopping six megabytes. They're a lot bigger to send over that internet connection. My 4GE, 4G LTE connection was about 15 megabits upload speed. And my home Wi-Fi is also about 15 megabit up, up speed, upload speed. Uh, the difference being the upload speed of the home Wi-Fi was way more consistent. The, the upload speed of that 4G LTE was all over the place on speed. Uh, it's just about the max and the the images that I ended up using in the numbers for the time were they went at about 15 megabits. It was obvious when it was working when I got that kind of speed. Um, and the times were really, really similar. So again, I think the the issues that I had with this have way more, the mo- majority of the blame on the issues has to do with the 4G LTE coverage, which is going to be the experience everybody's going to have. Even if you have pretty good coverage in your area, you've seen where the phone kind of goes up and down, in and out, and the data is not super consistent. The data rates are not very consistent. Okay, so for the S2 sized images, it took about 8.6 seconds to upload a single photo. One photo up to image.canon, 8.6 seconds. And then to send that full resolution JPEG, was a lot more at 25 seconds, 20, 22 seconds on the home Wi-Fi, but I averaged about 25 seconds on the phone. It's a lot more time to send a single image. And if you think about a raw file, they average around 25 megabytes in size. That's like four times longer. You're going to be minutes before you're, you're done sending an image. And I think that's a big reason why uh, Canon's like, yeah, I don't think it's quite ready yet to be able to send raw files on the, on these slower Wi-Fi connections. So we're going to disable that functionality and save people from themselves. Um, either way, it's really not an option for most of you to do raw. And though that's the times you should expect on sending an image up there. Okay, so now that you've got an image sent up to image.canon, there's two ways to kind of access those images. Uh, You can go via a browser to the service, sign in and be able to see all of your images that are there. And there's a a URL or a link in there in the guide that I have over phototacopodcast.com. It's uh, it's ihub.image.canon. So image.canon is kind of the starting point. You can log in via that. But if you go to ihub.image.canon, it'll also prompt you for the sign in and you'll immediately just go into the service without having to go through a menu to try to sign in. When you after you sign in, if you have uploaded images to the service, it directly takes you to those images. And you see this page of images that have a bunch of thumbnails and they're they're organized by uh, date and time of the image date, the, the capture date of the image, which is helpful. You can change some settings on mobile. I didn't see where you could change it. On in the browser. In fact, there was a little less functionality via the browser on the computer than there was in the app. And I'll, I'll point out another place where that was a, a big deal. But you, so you, you have this, these thumbnails, those thumbnails are only 220 pixels by 146 pixels. They're really small, really, really tiny images just to give you an idea of the image. And on every one of them, by default, it's going to have this little green calendar icon. And I think over time, the icons change because it's showing you like how many days are left that that image is going to be on the service. And you might think, what do you mean days that are left? So in the terms of service, it says this very clearly and you can see it. I mean, it's labeled all over in the application when you log in through the browser, when you log into the mobile, the phone app. Canon only keeps these, they make it free and it's unlimited within reason they reserve the right to kind of like limit you if you're going crazy on how many images you're pushing up into the service but for majority of of canon customers this is an unlimited free service and the way that they're going to keep it that way is by default unless you do something about it unless you go change something an image is going to automatically be deleted from the service 30 days after it's been uploaded. So it's not 30 days from capture date. It's 30 days after the image has been uploaded to the service. The clock starts ticking on your image and 30 days later after it's been uploaded, uh, Canon is going to automatically delete them. That's going to limit how much of their storage they have to use on your images and allows them to keep the service free. 
there's not even a paid option, but there is a way if you have a few images that you really, really want to make sure don't get deleted out of the service, you can select images either through the browser or through the phone and choose to have them moved or marked as being part of your 10 gigabytes of storage that they're giving every customer who signs up for image.canon for free. And that means they'll be stored permanently in image.canon. If you selected an image and you moved it to the 10 gigabyte storage, it will stay there until you delete it, until you get rid of it. Uh, it is limited to 10, 10 megabytes and no, 10 gigabytes, and you um, you cannot pay to get more. This is not a way to back up your photos, for sure. This is not a way to back up your photos. This is, they're trying to have this be a way to sync your photos wirelessly to other services. That's that's the main point. They're gonna, they want image.canon to be kind of this hub, which is probably why they put hub in the URL, but they want it to be this hub where the images come from your camera to the service and then go to Lightroom or go to Google Photos or go to Flickr or go to Google Drive. Those are the integrations they have today. And that's that's the whole idea. This is a very temporary kind of service just to sync your photos to other places. It is not a place to back up your photos or have long-term storage or share your photos with other people. It's, it's to get it to a, another destination. Okay, so in the browser, if you click on one of those thumbnails, those tiny itty bitty tiny thumbnails, it'll show the image almost full screen, really close to full screen. But that image that it shows almost full screen is still not your high resolution uh, version of the image. Even if you chose S2, that 1920 by 1280 on my Canon 80D, that is not a 1920 by 1280 image. It is a, an image that is limited to 2048 pixels on the long edge. And it doesn't matter what if you picked the high resolution and you upload, you send it off. The image that it shows when you first click on it is only is going to be limited to the um, Canon calls them thumbnails even here. And they're clear about it in the terms of service too. They're clear about it in, as you go through this. It's going to be limited to 2048 when you're browsing through these things. The only way then to get it so you get that high resolution version, higher than 2048 pixels, uh, downloaded to your computer is by, at least through the image.canon uh, website, you have to select the image. You have to go back to the, the page that has all the thumbnails and you have to click a button in the upper right hand corner and choose download. And that changes the page to so that all the images, all the thumbnails have the little circles uh, in the upper left hand corner. And you can now select the images that you want to download by clicking on them. A little orange check marks goes in there. And then there's a big orange download button at the bottom of the screen that you can click on. And uh, the service will then gather all of the images that you selected to download and it will create a zip file and then your browser will download the zip file. And inside that zip file are the high resolution copies of your images. So if you picked S2, it would be an S2 resolution. If you picked full resolution when you were sending, it would be the full resolution image that you download through the service. So I just wanted you to be aware, like you might be thinking, well, I can click on the image, it'll show it full screen, and then I can right click on the image and do save as, which you totally can do. But what you're going to get is an image that is limited to 2048 pixels on the long edge. The, the only way to get the high resolution version is to do the, the process of uh, down, selecting and downloading the images in a zip file. That's for getting it directly out of the Canon dot or the image.canon web application. Now, uh, doing this on your phone is a similar kind of process. The, the things look pretty close to the same. You go download, there's an image.canon app, and they have it for both iOS and Android and have links to it in my guide. And when you first launch the app, it uh, tells you to sign in if you already have your sign-in created, or you can try to create your Canon account there, though you won't be able to finish the whole thing because you absolutely have to connect your camera to a computer in order to register that web service. And that's a step you're going to have to do. You can't do all of this by phone or by tablet. 
you have to use a computer to make this work. All right, so you you sign in, and it's a very similar thing. You see thumbnails, you see the green calendar, whether it's your your uh, tick down to when when uh, Canon's going to delete those images. And if you click on an image, it shows it kind of more full screen on your phone. But there's no like tap and hold to download. Instead, there's an action button that's at the bottom of the screen. And when you click that, you actually get a lot more options. The the options in the browser are limited to download, delete, and move to that uh, permanent 10 gigabytes of storage. Those are the only three options you get. When you use the phone, you get send via email. You get send to connected service. We're going to talk about those in a second. Then there's download. Then there's send to app. So you can pick like another app on your phone that you want to send the image to. There's add to album. You can create albums, which you can't do in the browser. Uh, Change the expiration date, which means move it to that 10 megabyte 10 gigabyte storage or delete those. There's just a bunch more options there. A lot more you can do. And that can be helpful, especially that send to connected service. We're going to talk about the connected services just a second, but this is a way that you could actually like send an image to the service. If you had already synced, already sent a photo up to image.canon, then through the phone app, you can, you can send it, you can transfer it from there to another connected service. You can, I don't see a way to do that in the browser, it's kind of a limitation there. You can also select multiple images on the phone to download to your phone or all the same options that I just went through on a single image you have for multiple. You you go back to the screen that has all the thumbnails on the mobile app and then you, um, you hit action and you choose what you're gonna do, like download, and then it will again change the screen to have those little circles in the upper left-hand corner where you can select whatever images you wanna download, hit the download button and it downloads the full resolution images, however you sent them from your fo- from your camera, it downloads those to your phone, to your camera roll if you're on iOS and, and wherever your photos are located on Android. So that's kind of how you use the service directly. Um, kind of some limited stuff. And again, it's because Canon really sees this as a sync hub. Like they're going to send the images. They're going to make sure the cameras can talk to image.canon. And then image.canon will be able to talk to lots of other services to be able to get your images where you want them to be. So those are connected services. And you the term Canon uses then when you send an image from image.canon over to a connected service. They call it transferring an image. And so let's let's go through the options of what you have to transfer an image into connected services. So today here in August, 2020, you have a few options. You have Google Photos, which is a brand new one. That's why I decided to even do this guide. They just barely created that here in August, 2020. You have Lightroom, which is Lightroom cloud service, not Lightroom classic. We'll talk more about that in just a second. Uh, and then you have um, you have Google Drive, which is similar to Google Photos, but different enough. It's a different destination and we'll talk about it. And then you have Flickr. There's also a YouTube destination for video. I'm not doing anything with video here, so I'm going to just ignore (laughs) that particular function. I can't imagine trying to transmit a movie that you recorded on the camera via this service. The connectivity is just too slow <laughs> for that to work. I guess maybe if you had a, a business Wi-Fi connection that had massive bandwidth behind it, maybe there's value to doing that. But why you'd want to go directly to YouTube from your camera, it doesn't seem like a good idea to me, but I'm going to ignore it. Okay, so let's start with Google Photos, the brand new one, but it's the first one listed over there. Maybe, I don't know how they determine how these things are listed in the service when you log in, but that's the first one that they show. And all of them follow a very similar process to getting this set up, but they, some of them have some different requirements of what it takes to make it be set up. So what, what I want you to notice here is that Google Photos, they have an image that tells you what the requirements are. And the one requirement that made it so that I couldn't even try it is you have to have a Google One membership. And I'm sure this is a requirement that comes from Google, but they won't let you use this image.canon service to transfer images into Google Photos 
unless you have a paid for Google One membership. Um, it's not terribly expensive. 100 gigabytes is $20 a year for the service. 200 gigabytes is 30 bucks a year and two terabytes is $100 a year. Um, but it's yet another subscription and all of us are dying slow deaths so <laughs> by subscriptions. Um, I have enough cloud storage I'm already paying for in other places. I don't need Google One. Even though I'm a heavy Google user, I use a lot of Google services, I don't need their cloud storage. It's not something I'm looking to do. So I don't have that service. I couldn't go and try it to see how it works. But like I said, the process for the other three I did try uh, are all similar enough. I'm sure the process itself is about the same to make it work. So let's walk through one. And uh, I'm going to choose the uh, transferring images to Lightroom and go into a little bit of detail there. But the others are all very similar, at least as far as how you set them up. The, so to start with, the requirements for connecting to Lightroom. It ha you have to be a creative cr cloud subscriber, either using the all apps plan, the photography plan, or just the Lightroom plan. You can totally license or create a, have a creative cloud subscription to just Lightroom if you want to do that. There's a big caveat though. I already mentioned this, but this is not Lightroom Classic. So if you're like me and you prefer Lightroom Classic as the editing tool that you use primarily, you know, besides Photoshop or some maybe some other editing products, but if you primarily like catalog um, your images, organize your images in Lightroom Classic, this won't work for you. This does not work. I tried it. I tried every little trick I could think of to see if I could get the images to sync from image.canon over into Lightroom Classic. It doesn't work. Adobe told us that they were no longer going to add any kind of cloud syncing capabilities to Lightroom Classic when they when they released Lightroom. They called it Lightroom CC at the time, but Lightroom Cloud Service is what I'm calling it, just to make it different. Uh, when they announced it, they said, you know, end of the road for cloud capabilities in Lightroom Classic. Everything cloudy future is going in plain old Lightroom now, um, the new version of it. So if you wanted to use Lightroom Classic, you're out of luck, sorry, and so am I. That's the situation I'm in. If you do use Lightroom Classic, super simple to be able to set this up. You click on a connect button next to that Adobe Photoshop Lightroom service that's in kind of the settings page of the image.canon service. And you can do this in the web browser or on the phone, they both offer it. And, uh, and then a little browser page pops up that says from Adobe, sign in to your Adobe Creative Cloud account. So you do that, you sign in, and you have to give it permissions now of what image.canon service is going to be able to do in your Adobe Creative Cloud account. And it asks for your ability to be able to see your basic profile, your email, your address, and use your cloud files, which of course it has to in order to be able to send an image into your catalog, your Lightroom cloud service catalog. And then you have to, if you're good with that, you have to click allow access, this blue button there. It takes, you know, a second and you come back to then the screen in image.canon, either on the browser or your phone. And it's now says it's connected and even shows like your email address that it connected to. And I think by default, this there was this switch that was enabled for me, but it could be that it, it wasn't enabled by default. There's a switch on all of these services, all these connected services that's called automatically transfer images from camera. When it's enabled, it's a it's like this white dot to the right and the rest of it's black. It, it's pretty obvious when it's enabled versus disabled. But when it's toggled to enabled, it means that any every time you sync a photo, you send a photo from your camera through a Wi-Fi connection to image.canon, image.canon is automatically, without you having to do anything, sending that image on, transferring is what they call it, transferring that image over into the connected service, in this case, Lightroom. Lightroom Cloud Service, not Lightroom Classic. I just wanna make sure that's totally clear that it is not Lightroom Classic. And so if that's a workflow that, that you like, you don't even have to log in to image.canon anymore. You log in, you set this up, and it works just like that hub that they kind of envisioned for this service. It, the images flow from your, Canon, from your camera 
through your Wi-Fi connection up to image.canon and then into the end service that you want to use it, in this case, Lightroom. And you don't have to worry about anything. Your images automatically get deleted out of image.canon. You know, after 30 days of upload, they're gone. And so you don't have to like manage it at all. It just kind of sinks all the way through, which I think is the the actual vision behind all of this and what they're trying to build. And I see a lot of promise for this for the future. Okay, so so that's how you do that one. And it, it works very seamlessly if you use Lightroom cloud service. Now, when I say cloud service, it doesn't mean you're like in a browser to use Lightroom. There is Lightroom for the web, but this is a, a still an application you download to your computer. I know it's super confusing. Adobe is not doing themselves any favors by calling it two things that are so close in name. But uh, if you use that version of Lightroom, and Adobe really pushes you to that version today, if you're going to go sign up for Creative Cloud, you don't even know that like you're signing up for the this new version of Lightroom that has some limitations for me. I, it, it's not a suitable service for me, in particular because of the Adobe Cloud storage requirements for it. And I have a link in my guide to like why I say that. There's a podcast episode where I talked about that too. So I'm not, I'm not going to go over it here. But um, if you do use that, it's trivial. You, you do the send from your camera. It goes through image.canon. It ends up in your Lightroom catalog. You launch Lightroom catalog on your, on your computer. You see the image, you launch Lightroom mobile on your phone. You see the image, you can edit the image from there. It, it works flawlessly, really, really simple. Once you have it set up, getting it set up, not quite so simple, but once you do, it's pretty simple. All right, Google Drive is another destination, another connected service. It's been there for a little bit. This uh, I wanted to bring this up that it is different from Google Photos. Syncing to Google Drive is not the same as syncing to Google Photos. That is a different thing. Even in Google's eyes, they have different stuff there. You can upload images to Google Drive, but when you do, they all count against your storage. Whereas if you upload images through Google Photos, like there's a Photos app on your phone, there's a Google Photos app you can get for your computer, those don't count against storage as long as they're uploaded in a specific way. Like Google's going to change your image a little bit. They're going to make it as small as they possibly can while retaining the quality or supposedly retaining the quality. And, uh, and then it doesn't count against your storage as long as you do, you let Google resize your image as it goes up to the service. Um, that's not what this connected service over to Google Drive does. So it does mean every single image that you sync over from image.canon over to Google Drive counts against your storage. Every one of them doesn't matter if they're small or big. I saw the 134 kilobyte file that I sent. One of the images I sent ended up being that size when it was an S2 sized image. It was still counted against the storage. So every single image counts against the storage, but it's totally free. You can, it doesn't require any kind of plan there other than if you run out of storage space, you got to go pay for more storage. And uh, at that point, it'd probably be better to sign up for the Google one and, and use Google photos rather than sending them to Google drive, but it totally works. It's super easy to set up. Again, you just kind of provide your username and password to your, to your Google account. They uh, throw up a permissions page again, like it, in this case, uh, it says image.canon wants to be able to view and manage Google Drive files and folders that you've opened or created with the app, which is totally what it has to have. You click allow, it's all set up, and then you can again enable that, um, that switch to make it so it automatically transfers images from the camera. And uh, I was able to have all of that work. It worked just great to be able to have it end up in Google Drive. I have a an image in the guide that shows that. The last one's Flickr. Not much to say here. It's exactly the same kind of setup. Log into Flickr and you're able to, to have that work. And then uh, you do have to give it permissions to access your Flickr account, including private content. And there's a reason for that in a second. Uh, upload, edit, and replace photos and videos in your account. Interact with other member photos and videos. And you have to have um, the ability to delete photos and videos. Oh, it won't, sorry, it won't have permission to delete photos or videos from your account. So you hit an authorized button, it's good to go. It shows us connected. Again, you can automatically have it send from image.canon up to Flickr. And I validated that it works flawlessly. Again, uh, just like Google Drive, all of them did. They all worked great. Uh, Canon seems to have done a really good job here and the service providers are, are doing good too to, to really have all this work very flawlessly. 
Um, and then what ends up in Flickr is it creates a new album. Oh, and I forgot to mention Google Drive. It creates a new folder in your Google Drive called image.canon. So it's easy to find where the images are. And if you want to go like delete them because you're running out of space, you can go and do that there. They end up with the full, the high resolution version of the images too, just flawlessly. And uh, same Flickr, it creates an image.canon album, and then it puts the photos in there. And by default, they are made private, which is why you it asks for the ability to um, to work with private content because when it uploads the images, it wants to be able to set them as a scope of being private, which is so by default, it's there and not visible to the world because you uploaded an image from your camera through image.canon, which is, I think, a good thing. And you can decide from there if you want to have it uh, automatically show or change to to public if you want to do it. So I like that. That is all good stuff. It works really, really well for the use case it is. Just not what I was hoping. I was hoping for something else. But I see promise for the future here. I see something that could be really, really good. And I'm, I'm excited for, to see where this goes. I'm excited to see Canon trying it. We want, all of us have this desire. We want a workflow that's wireless. We don't want to have to come home, take the memory card out of our camera, put it into a reader, download the images, and import the images into our editor. That takes a lot of time. And it's challenging to organize it all. It's just lots of problems with that. And to have them just like the whole vision of they're floating through the air from my Canon camera into my Lightroom. That's such a compelling story. And I think we'll get there someday. Just there's problems outside of Canon's control. We need connectivity to have a major boost forward. Maybe 5G will bring it when we get real 5G service, not this fake stuff that the carriers are saying is 5G today. Maybe that'll help. Who knows? We'll see. We'll see how it goes from here. We also have kind of the newer Canon cameras are supporting better Wi-Fi connections. That'll help too. So it's going to be super interesting to see where this goes. A couple of things before I end the show here, I want to mention that you should be aware of with the image.canon service. All right, so first up, uh, I want to talk about the limitations of the cloud storage. I talked a little about it as I've gone through the functionality and how to set this up, but I want to make sure it's totally clear on this. It is an unlimited number of images that you can store on for free on Canon's servers, but... Those images are only stored for 30 days. The clock starts ticking the, the day you upload the image. You have 30 days from that point before Canon is automatically going to delete those images. And once they're deleted, they're gone. There's no recovery. There's no like call Canon say, oh, no, I only had this image in your service. That was the only place and I didn't pull it down. Nope, it's gone. It is not, it's not recoverable. You can't get it back. In fact, if you delete an image by you, if you go into the service, because you can do that and delete an image, it's also gone, just permanently gone. This is not a place Canon wants you to rely on the storage for your images. It is not a backup. It is not a place to share your photos, like a collection of photos. It is a synchronization service. That's what it's there for. Um, as of August 2020, there is a list of cameras that do not support sending RAW files. I've mentioned it once, but I want to bring it up again. It's JPEG only for a big list of cameras. And I have the list in my guide so you can see it. Maybe this will change over time if they make, can make some firmware changes perhaps. But my guess is it's a limitation of the Wi-Fi capabilities of these cameras and they're not likely to get this capability to do raw. So you're we're probably stuck with JPEG only for that whole list of cameras. And the vast majority of the cameras that support this in the first place are on that list as JPEG only. Uh, you can manually select a few images to stay in the image.canon service for more than those 30 days. If you for some reason really, really need to have an image stay in the image.canon service, there's 10 gigabytes of storage every customer gets, and you can mark a few images to stay in that storage for that for forever until you delete it or move it out of that 10 gigabyte storage. Um, but there's no option to buy more storage. If you decide you really liked this and you really want to keep images around for a long time, you can't pay Canon at least right now in August 2020. There's no option to buy more storage. And the last one is when you're in the browser and you're looking at images, 
the images that you might right click on and say download, there's no right click protection. I mean, these are your images, so they should be available to you. They are limited in size to 2048 pixels on the long edge. The only way to get the high resolution version that you sent from your camera to the service is to go and download the images and then you'll get the high resolution version. All right, so all those restrictions, they just mean I personally don't have a use case for this service. It's hard enough to use. It's hard enough. It's slow enough. I don't think I'm going to use this service. If I, I wish that it had a, a capability, I, I like what's there for some use cases. And maybe you can let me know. You can send me some uh, con. You know, my contact information is in the show notes, and you can let me know if you have a use case that is is that you have for how the service works as I described. What I wish I could tweak a little bit in some option, I don't know if this would be good for everybody and the battery life would be a problem and your data on your phone, your data plans for your phone would be a problem. But if I could set it up so that every time I clicked the shutter button and took an image in the background, it's going through my phone's Wi-Fi connection and syncing to the service, that would be a lot more valuable because then I could go to uh, shooting basketball games at the high school, for example, and I've done that. Uh, when we play basketball games at the high school, we'll see if we're doing it this year. But it, when when they're doing that, then um, at halftime, I'd love to be able to share some images, even if they're not like edited super well, but they they can end up in my Lightroom mobile. And just to make, if, if that worked in the background while I was using the camera, so that at halftime, I could whip out my phone, go to Lightroom mobile, edit up a couple of images really fast, and then share them, Oh, that would be a, a workflow I could use. But the step of having to manually go and select the, a few of the photos and send them to the service then, I would spend all of my free time during halftime just getting the images up to image.canon and I wouldn't have any time to share from there. Now, if I change the use case slightly and I have an assistant like my wife or my daughter, something like that, ready to help me during halftime and I send the images and then as as soon as they're all there um, that assistant uploads them to Facebook or Instagram and shares them um, while I get going again because the game is starting that could work and this would be a really good workflow for that because it's it's a nice way to be able to send the images off to something else and be able and then have someone else go into those like you could do it through Google Drive would be a, a really perfect way to make that work especially like that they could be home they don't have to be at the at the high school gym with you they could be at home i could send a text right after i upload them and say okay they're sent uh, go share them, please. And then they could go into Google Drive. They could grab all the images. We could even delete them as soon as we're da- they're downloaded and you know, work with them and share them out to Facebook. So it's close to being useful for me, just not quite there. But maybe you have a use case. I, I don't know. The other thing I wanted to mention, uh, two more little things. Um, well, I've already mentioned the, the, the second one. So one other thing is just the intellectual property rights. I wanted to kind of read the statement that's applicable just so you can make your own judgment on what it is. And I have a link in the guide to the statement. So you can go read the whole thing. The whole terms of service is there. It's very accessible. They're, they're being as transparent, I think, as a company can be with regards to this. Here's what it says. It says a member, and that means a Canon ID member, retains ownership of his or her image. So right out the get-go. We photographers retain ownership of the image by uploading the image to the service. A member grants Canon, including its affiliate companies and third party service providers and business partners. So you got Canon and everyone else they might be working with. You give them the right and license to copy or otherwise use on a worldwide basis free of charge the member's content for the purposes of, and you know, that sounds scary to that point, but I think what they're talking about is you need to give us permission to send your images around. And because these are cloud services, you know, when you send it to Google drive or Flickr or Google photos, who knows where those servers are at in the world, they could be all over the place. So the, the wording sounds a little scary, but I think they have to have this in there. So the purposes of, Number one, or A, is providing the service. Yep, totally makes sense. In order to provide this service, 
They need those rights to be able to do this. And a free license to the image to be able to copy your image where you want it to go, where you set it up. So that's A. And then B, improving the service. And C, improving and developing current and future Canon products and services. I read those other two purposes as we might need to use your images for troubleshooting. We might need to use your images for uh, testing out future features in the service. And we need the capability to use their services for those purposes. They also say another purpose is um, more trainable data sets for AI engines. So they, they may use this for a slightly different purpose than the, what they're intending to kind of train AI stuff, hopefully to make their cameras do things a little better, improve autofocus, improve auto exposure stuff, whatever it is. They're, they want to be able to have the right to be able to use your images as data to train AI. What it doesn't say, and what I think is is good, is that they're not going to use it for marketing purposes. Mo- a lot of online services tend to include that in their terms of service, and that is not what's being done here. So I really like that. I think I'm reading it as being a pretty good protection of your rights as a photographer. I don't think you're giving up anything to Canon here and you shouldn't expect that you get your your rights infringed your intellectual property rights infringed upon based on these terms of service you can let me know if you disagree <laughs> I'm not a lawyer and maybe there is something there that that I'm reading incorrectly it's certainly like legalese and uh you know not a lawyer so so maybe there is something more here but to me they seem like pretty favorable terms of service to where it's not a problem. And and I think if you have a use case for using the image.canon service, then you should go do it and, and check it out. And that guide should help you to get started. All right, do data of the week. I didn't include one last week, I don't think, but I recently got into this again. And so I really wanted to share it. So I have had the problem, like many of you, that with MacBook Pro computers, laptops, you're limited to USB-C ports only. That means dongles like crazy if you want to connect your USB-A devices, um, including like network connections and there's all kinds of things. So I've been trying to find the perfect USB-C hub for a while. And I think I've suggested some in the past. I've tried some that I absolutely do not work and I don't want to defame any products, but there's some that are off the list for me for sure. But this one... I'm really comfortable in making sure it's on the list. It's something that would be really good for any photographer who has the same need to kind of have a a USB-C hub that allows multiple devices to be connected to it. So here's the requirements that I was looking for, and this one meets that. I want a USB-C hub that has it offers a wired network connection. I had I built a house a, a few years ago, and I made sure I have wired connections in every single room in my house. I want to use them. It's Wi-Fi is also available, of course, but wired's always better than Wi-Fi. And uh, so I, I want to connect my computers to the wired network when I'm home and can use it. Um, the second thing is an SD card slot. I want that built into the hub. I don't want to have to attach a card reader and that card slot needs to be fast. Uh, another one is I need at least two USB-A 3.0 ports. I want to be able to connect storage through it. Uh, might want to connect like a mouse through it. Uh, there's various things I have, various times I have need for USB-A connections. Not every peripheral I have is converted over to USB-C. So I needed that. Um, and then another thing I needed was a another USB-C port. Like I just because I have this thing plugged into the USB-C port, doesn't mean I don't want to also still have the ability to connect a USB-C device into the hub. This meets all of those points. Oh, and one other requirement. I wanted to be able, I want to have like a short cable going from the hub into a single USB-C port so that I can have the other USB-C ports that are there on the computer available for other USB-C connections. All right, so this is the Anchor 7-in-1 USB-C hub. It's 60 bucks, might seem a little expensive, but if you've shopped for these things at all, that's pretty inexpensive. It's a very reasonable price, and it works really, really well. I loved it. It's beautiful. Oh, 
I guess, you know, one, one other requirement I didn't think of until just now wasn't in my notes, HDMI. I wanted a good HDMI connection coming out of that too to, to um, fire up a display or drive a display. So that's also part of this, this really excellent Anchor 7-in-1 USB-C hub. I'll have a link in the show notes if you're interested in getting the same one that I've tested out pretty thoroughly. All right, reminders, masterphotographypodcast.com is the home for the show where you'll normally find most of the show notes. This time it's going to be, uh, you know, the doodad link and the link to the photo taco guide. But uh, usually I have really good show notes for the discussions we have here. Master Photography Podcast Facebook group. There's a link to that in the show notes. And I'd love to have you join the, the community. We've had tons of people joining the community. I'm not sure if they're hearing it through the podcast or seeing it through links in the show notes or if they're just kind of getting it suggested to them in Facebook, whatever the reason, it's it's we're having a, a large influx of people joining the community. And as usual, you have to name a host on the show to get in. We don't allow anyone else. If you don't answer that question, you're not getting in the group. And so a good answer for that is Jeff. I'm the host for this episode. Usually try to have more than one, but uh, for the last couple, it's just been me. We have, we have got a lot of people busy. Uh, you can find my work over at jsharmanphotos.com. My, my portfolio is over there. Or check out my other podcast. If you liked this podcast, it's what Photo Taco's like most of the time. And that's uh, that's over at phototacopodcast.com. In the latest episode, I talked about the details about how I shot the moon with a foreground. It was a really unusual circumstance, but it's a good guide. If, if you have the objective of shooting the moon and including a foreground, it's a good kind of uh, step-by-step guide on how to make that happen. I'm, my Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter links will also be in the show notes, and I'd love to have you connect with me. So go head over to masterphotographypodcast.com and find that contact information. You can send me your feedback. If this is if image.canon is a service that uh, you have a use case for, and if you're not a Canon shooter, I should have said this at the beginning of the episode, even if you're not a Canon shooter, listening to kind of how it works might give you some thoughts or ideas about like, yeah, I'd like to see Nikon or Sony or Fuji do a similar thing. I, I have a use case for this, or maybe a service that like could work with any of them. It would be hard because you you really had to have stuff work in the firmware of the camera for this to go. But maybe there's something you could do on the phone that kind of, anyway, we'll see where things end up. What, what happens with it? Hope you enjoyed the episode and uh, we'll see you again in another seven days. 